well, happy Mother's Day. If you're a mum or a granny or, you know, we just want to say well done. I hope you have a lovely day today. We're so grateful, aren't we, for uh, women who have helped us in our life's journey, it might be mums or grandmas or aunties or teachers, sisters. There are many moments in our life when we look back where maybe someone like that reassured us when we were facing a change, a challenging situation, maybe going to school for the first time or moving to senior school or off to uni or your first job interview. I know as a mum, I'm the kind of person as I would be walking to the school gate, yeah, I'd be trying to reassure them, you're going to be fine, it's going to be great, all is well. But I'd also be trying to download information. Now, don't forget your PE kit and don't do this and please say that and don't forget to go to the loo at break time. You know, all those bits of information. And the passage that we're going to look at today, it comes in the final hours of Jesus' time with his disciples. And he's trying to reassure them, but he's also downloading teaching that they can hold onto as they go through what is gonna be the biggest challenge of their life, Jesus going to the cross and then being raised again. So naturally, the disciples are fearful and anxious. There's already rumours swirling around that Jesus is going to be arrested and killed. And many of us can relate to that feeling of anxiety, can't we? Maybe not as serious as that, but it just feels like there's like a legacy of anxiety that many of us face following COVID. I mean, we, we find out now that some of our politicians deliberately stirred up fear in that season. And yeah, we have low level anxiety about decisions we have to make or going to work or relationships or just the future. And I believe these words from Jesus that we're going to read today will bring comfort and encouragement to us if, if we're feeling that sense of confusion or doubt or anxiety just as the disciples were in that, in that moment. We're going to look at chapter 14 of John. So if you've got a Bible, please uh, do turn to it. But I'd like to uh, look at John 13 towards the end, where we get kind of the picture as, of what is happening in that moment. In verse 21, Jesus, we read, is troubled in spirit. And he's going to share with the disciples that Judas is going to betray him. And that is deeply unsettling for Jesus. He's disappointed, bitterly disappointed that this is happening. And he's feeling it deeply. Jesus was a man. He had emotions. Uh, we read last week, didn't we, about the fact that he wept at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus felt all the feelings that we feel under pressure fearful, challenged. Hebrews 4 says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus knows this troubled feeling, yet he doesn't sin, even as Judas leaves to betray him, even as the darkness comes in, John says, it was night. There's that sense of 
gathering evil and doom. Jesus holds on to truth. He says, even this will be used to bring glory to the Father, glory to the Son. So although he, he feels trouble, he isn't overwhelmed by his emotions. He leans into the promises of God. And the disciples are shocked and troubled too. And, and Simon, Peter, he, he begins to ask questions because Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you. And Peter is saying, well, why can't we follow you? Why can't we be there with you? And Jesus says, no, you, you can't come with me. You, you can't go through this with me. And although Jesus is speaking about leaving, I think the people there, the disciples, they knew he was talking about death because Peter says, you know, I can follow you. I will lay down my life for you. He knows this is a life and death situation. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. So another shock in the room. Judas has gone. And now Peter, who's kind of the natural leader of the disciples, he's going to disown Jesus. So you can imagine the, the anxiety and the fear and the confusion just kind of growing in the room. And it's in that context, in these last hours, that Jesus speaks the words of John 14 that we're going to read now. These words that are familiar to many of us. And these are words for us too, as we deal with anxiety and challenge and the fears that we have in our hearts. So let's read John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these 
because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus makes this amazing statement. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I, I want us to really focus in on this statement and get encouragement from it. And we're going to look particularly at that first phrase, I am the way. Firstly, Jesus makes it clear he is the way to the Father's house. He, he does this in response to Thomas's question, you know, doesn't know where they're going or how to get there. And Jesus takes this wonderful kind of homely picture of a house with many rooms and the fact that he's going before them. He's going to go through death before them and he's going to tear down all the barriers that would have stopped them coming into the father's house and he's going to prepare a room for each of them, a special room a room almost with their name on it because his followers, these are his disciples, people who put their trust in him. I love this picture. You know, in the Bible, we get many pictures of what heaven will be like, uh, particularly in the book of Revelation. And most of the pictures are kind of glorious and grand and big. You know, there's the, the massive throne. There's the city paved with gold. There are the great throngs, multitudes worshipping before the Lamb. But here, it's just a picture like a a friend saying you, to you, you know, come and stay with me for the weekend. You know, I've got, I've got a room prepared for you. You know, the bed's made and, you know, I've put a couple of books by the bedside I know you'll enjoy and I've got your favourite food in the fridge and just come, come and be with me. I'm, I'm ready for you. But the disciples, they, they just can't take this in. They're still full of questions, even though it's the most basic and and kind of ordinary of illustrations. And it's a bit like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you've, you've gone to the doctors and you've been there and you've been given some unexpected news. And the doctor's talking to you and you're asking questions, but your brain is whirring and you just can't take in the facts. You go home and you, maybe your partner says, well, what did they say and what's this? And, and you, you just don't know. And the disciples are like this, they're paralysed by the anxiety and the fear and the doubts that they are experiencing. But Jesus then makes things even more definite. He says, I am the way. I'm the way to the Father's house. It's, it's through me. John Piper, the preacher and author, as he comments on this passage, he says, we don't go to heaven to the Father beside Jesus, assisting him, or behind Jesus, imitating him. We go to the Father through Jesus, depending on him. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for you and thus become the way to God. You, you can't follow now, that's what he's saying to the disciples, only I can do this, this is my work alone. 
Jesus is the way for us, the way to the Father's have to eternal life, to eternal security. He, he doesn't just kind of uh, save us a box room at the back of the house. He's, he's prepared a place for us that should comfort us and give us hope in the face of death. But it's more than that. Jesus is the way into the holy of holies. Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." In the time of Jesus, in the time of the disciples, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. They could only go so far into the courts around it. Only the priest, the high priest, one day of the year could go through into the Holy of Holies and meet with God. But for us, because of the cross, we can come into his presence boldly because on the cross, we, as Jesus died, we read that the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom. The permission, the, the access was granted that we, ordinary sinners, uh, broken people, could know our sins forgiven, our guilt destroyed we could come into the very presence of the holy God who does sit on the throne, who is worshipped by millions. We can come in through Jesus. We mustn't minimise it that Jesus is saying he is the only way to God. We, we can't water that down and say there are many ways to God. No, and in fact, Peter uh, post the resurrection, as he probably remembers these words and processes them. He says this in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which, by which we must be saved. Only Jesus can say, I am the way. You know, I, I use an app called Waze when I'm going places because I haven't got a brilliant sense of direction. And Waze will constantly change your route according to the traffic and what's happened, roadworks, things like that. And it, it, it constantly changes the route. But in Jesus, there is only one route to the Father. It's through faith in him. It's through us as individuals, as sinners, deciding to repent and admit we would be lost without him and putting our faith in Jesus as the way to the Father. He is the only option. Now, Jesus is also the way to peace. 
You know, for three years, the disciples have followed Jesus. They've walked with him. They've eaten with him. When he said, okay, we're going in a boat across the lake, they got in. When he said, we're going up the mountain, they went. When he said, okay, we're calling in to Martha and Mary's for supper tonight, they went with him. He directed and led them every day. And I can imagine in this moment, they're paralyzed at the thought that he's not going to be anymore, there anymore. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? What are they going to say? And Jesus realizes this and we'll see through the rest of the chapter that he, he just keeps bringing reassurance to them, that he will be the way for them. He will be the way to peace. They don't have to be worried and anxious. In John 13, Jesus calls the disciples, my children. It's a, a phrase of affection and love because he's probably the same age as them. And in chapter 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's trying to bring peace to them and assurance. Because one of the deepest fears we have is the fear of abandonment, the fear of separation. It's like a primal thing, isn't it? If you, you know, research has shown that if you separate a newborn baby from their mother, there, there will be emotional consequences for that, maybe over a long period of time. And who hasn't, you know, if you've got children, stood at the nursery or the threshold to school and, and someone have to kind of literally prize a child from your, eye, your arms because they're like clinging to you. They don't want to be separated from you. And, and the disciples are in that kind of moment. They just don't want him to go. You know, about 25 years ago, a friend of mine um, heard about the situation in China with the one-child policy, which was very strictly enforced in, in that time, and how many baby girls were therefore abandoned and ended up in orphanages. And that broke her heart. And she decided with her husband that they would adopt a baby from China. Now, I know there are issues and complications around cross-cultural adoption, but I think there was something in her that felt that heart that says, I can't bear for you to be left as an orphan. I've got to come for you. And so she went through that process, you know, assessments and approval, it took ages, and eventually uh, they got approval. And through the post, they got a little tiny passport photo of a baby that was to be their child. And it took several months after they got that photo to actually be able to get all the permissions to travel and passports in place and all the rest of it. But when they saw that photo, they were like, I, I can't leave you as an orphan. I'm, I'm gonna come for you. And Jesus is saying for the, to the disciples, I see how difficult it is for you, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you in this state. Yes, I will leave you. I will die. It will be horrible and brutal, but I will rise again and I will come to you. And there's three ways that Jesus is going to come to the disciples. The first is, yes, he's going to come back from the dead at the resurrection. And he's going to meet with them and eat with them and they're going to gradually understand he's alive. And then 
there is the eternal hope that Jesus is going to return again, the second coming of Jesus. And Jesus has talked to the disciples about this. He's told parables that one day the Son of Man will come in glory and all the anxiety and the pain and the sin and the tears of earth will be finished. Justice will be done. But there's a third way that Jesus is going to come to the disciples. And he's going to talk about that through these next few chapters. And I would encourage you, read these chapters when you get home, because Jesus starts to talk to, about, to them about the Holy Spirit coming to them. That the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to, in a way, make these words come to life in their lives. The Holy Spirit is going to be filling them and showing them the way, revealing Jesus to them. The Holy Spirit will guarantee their inheritance that we will be going to heaven. The Holy Spirit guarantees that and gives us that assurance that if we're born again, if we put our trust in Jesus, we will eventually go to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit witnesses to our hearts that we are adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit leads us into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room, and assures us that we can boldly bring our petitions to the Father. The Holy Spirit makes the truth of the Bible come to life. The Holy Spirit brings to our memory the words that Jesus has spoken. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, it's the Holy Spirit that brings that truth alive in our hearts. The Holy Spirit makes the life of Jesus bubble up within us. He is the one that joins us to the vine so that we can bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves us from grief to joy. The Holy Spirit is the one that fills us with joy. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the fruit of the Spirit, peace, to grow and rest in our hearts despite the troubles and the anxieties and the challenges of life. So in these chapters, as Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and make that real in your hearts and minds. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He's not going to leave us as orphans. We've never walked with Jesus, have we? We've never hugged him physically. We've never eaten with him. But yet, if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we've believed, then the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and he makes Jesus real to us. And so the truth that Jesus says can abide in our hearts. Jesus makes two promises about peace to the disciples in that moment. And they come to us today. Let me read them to you from uh, chapter 14, verse 27, and chapter 16, verse 33. Peace I leave with you. My keep peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. and Do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart 
I have overcome the world. Yeah, anxiety is around us. It, sometimes it fills us. Sometimes it overwhelms us, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like a burden on our shoulders or a cloud over our head or a dog like nipping at our heels. And serious anxiety may need medical help or counselling, but as part of the healing for anxiety, we need to find peace in Jesus. We need to know deeply through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the way for us. He is the truth for us. He is the life in us. And we see that these words do catch hold of the disciples when they are filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. They burst out into the street no longer scared, no longer anxious, filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit and they witness to who Jesus is and they're willing to face floggings and imprisonment and even walk through death because they know that they know that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the one who brings them a hope of heaven a place in the Father's home, that Jesus in, is the way into the Holy of Holies, that at any point they can pray and call out to Jesus and he will be close to them, that Jesus is the way of peace amidst trouble, amidst persecution, amidst anxiety. He gives peace through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. And I would just say to you that we're all called to respond to this, to hear again the words of Jesus, to admit that sometimes we've lost our way, that we're anxious, that we don't see our eternal destiny, that we worry, uh, that we're not good enough to come into the Holy of Holies, that we, we don't have peace and we struggle with anxiety and despair. And Jesus comes to us with his words and he says, grab hold of them, believe in me because I'm here for you, I'm coming to you, I will not leave you as orphans, I will not leave you anxious and worried and afraid. So let us, as Hebrews say, approach God's throne of grace with confidence today so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are amazed and encouraged again at how wonderful you are, what a saviour you are, how you lay down your life that we might know assurance that there is a place in heaven for us, that we can come right into the Holy of Holies, that we can know our sins forgiven, we can know peace with God and peace in our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth and fill us again with the life of Jesus. Meet with us now as we worship, I pray. Amen. <laughs>